Book 1, Chapter 14 of The Mystical City of God, Volume 3, by the Venerable Sister Mary of Jesus of Agreda. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book 1, Chapter 14, The Sufferings and Infirmities of St. Joseph in the Last Years of His Life, and How the Queen of Heaven, His Spouse, Nursed Him During That Time. A common defect in all of us that are called to the light and to the profession of holy faith in the school of Christ our Lord is that of looking upon him too much as our Redeemer and not sufficiently as our teacher in our sufferings. Luke chapter 24 verse 26. We all desire to reap the fruit of salvation and enter the portals of grace and glory, but we do not, with like zeal, seek to follow him on the way of the cross by which he entered and upon which he invites us to attain eternal glory. Matthew chapter 16 verse 24. Although, as Catholics, we do not fall into such insane errors as the heretics, for we know and profess that without exertion and labor there can be no reward or crown. Second letter to Timothy, chapter 2, verse 5. And that it is a sacrilegious blasphemy to avail oneself of the salvation of Christ in order to sin without remorse or restraint. Nevertheless, as far as really practicing the works inculcated by faith, some of the children of the church differ little from the children of darkness, for they look upon difficult and painful works as unnecessary for the following of Christ and for the participation in his glory. Let us throw off this error in our practice, and let us understand well that suffering was not only for Christ our Lord, but also for us, that if he suffered labors and death as the Redeemer of the world, he suffered them also as our teacher, thereby inviting us as his friends to enter upon the way of his cross, so much so that his nearest friends receive the greatest share of suffering, and no one can merit heaven without the price of personal exertions. In imitation of his most holy mother, the apostles, martyrs, confessors, and virgins, and all his followers have won their crown by labors, and those that have been most prepared for suffering have obtained so much the more abundant reward and the higher crown. It might be objected that our Lord was at the same time God and man, and that if he has given us the most conspicuous and wonderful example of suffering, he did it more in order to be admired than to be imitated but this is only a bold and daring pretense on our part, for he can meet this objection with the example of his mother, our most pure and innocent queen, with that of her blessed spouse, and of so many men and women, weak and deficient as we ourselves, who were less guilty, but who have imitated him and followed him on the way of the cross. The Lord did not suffer only in order to excite our admiration, but in order that we imitate his example, and he did not let even his divinity stand in the way of labor and suffering, but allowed sorrow and suffering to overwhelm him, in proportion to his innocence and sinlessness. Along this royal highway of the cross, the Lord led the spouse of his blessed mother, St. Joseph, whom he loved above all the sons of men, in order to increase his merits and crown before the time of his meriting should come to an end, he visited him in the last years of his life with certain sicknesses, such as fever, violent headaches, and very painful rheumatisms, which greatly afflicted and weakened him. In the midst of these infirmities, he was suffering from another source, more sweet but extremely painful, namely, from the fire of his ardent love, which was so vehement, 
that the flights and ecstasies of his most pure soul would often have burst the bounds of his body if the Lord, who vouchsafed them, had not strengthened and comforted him against these agonies of love. In these sweet excesses, the Lord allowed him to suffer until his death, and on account of the natural weakness of his extenuated body, this exercise was the source of ineffable merits for the fortunate saint, not only because of the sufferings occasioned, but because of the love by which these sufferings were brought about. Our great queen, his spouse, was a witness to all these mysteries, and, as I have already stated, she knew the whole interior of the soul of St. Joseph, being thus rejoiced by the knowledge of having for her spouse a man so holy and so beloved of the Lord. She beheld and comprehended the sincerity and purity of his soul, his burning love, his exalted and heavenly thoughts, his dove-like patience and meekness in his grievous ailments and exquisite sufferings. She knew that he never complained either of these, nor of any of the other trials, nor ever asked for any relief in his wants and necessities, for he bore all with incomparable equanimity and greatness of soul, as his most prudent spouse contemplated and weighed all those heroic virtues of St. Joseph, she grew to look upon him with such a veneration as cannot ever be properly estimated by any one. She labored with incredible joy for his support and comfort, and the greatest of his comforts was that she should prepare and administer his victuals with her own virginal hands. But as all her service seemed little in the eyes of the heavenly lady, compared to the necessities of her spouse, she sometimes, in her love for him, made use of her power as queen and mistress of all creation, and commanded that the food which she administered to him impart special strength and supply new life to this holy and just man of God. This command of the great lady, whom all creatures obeyed, was fulfilled, and when St. Joseph tasted of the victuals, which bore these blessings of sweetness, when he perceived their effects, he was wont to say to the queen, my lady and spouse, what celestial food is this which vivifies me, rejoices my senses, restores my strength, and fills my soul and spirit with new delight? The Empress of Heaven served him his meals on bended knees, and when he was much disabled in suffering, she took off his shoes in the same posture. At other times, she supported him in her arms. Although the humble saint sought to rouse himself in order to forestall some of these ministrations of his spouse, he could not altogether prevent them, for she was intimately aware of all his sufferings and weaknesses, and of the circumstances and occasions when he needed her assistance. At such times, the heavenly nurse always hastened to assist him in his wants. Often also, as the mistress of wisdom and of virtue, she comforted him by words of sweetest consolation. In the last three years of his life, when his infirmities increased, our queen attended upon him day and night, and her only other employment was the service and ministration due to her most holy son. Jesus sometimes joined and assisted her in the care of her holy spouse whenever he was not engaged in other necessary works. There was never a sick person, nor will there ever be one, who was so well nursed and comforted. Great was the happiness and worth of this man of God, St. Joseph, for he alone deserved to have for his spouse, her, who was the spouse of the Holy Ghost. But the heavenly lady was not satisfied with these proofs of her devotion toward holy Joseph. She made use of other means for his relief and comfort. Sometimes she asked the Lord in her ardent charity to impose upon her the pains suffered by her spouse and release him therefrom. To gain her point, she, the mother and mistress of all sanctity, pleaded before the Most High, 
alleging that her debt was greater than that of all the earthborn, and since she had not given the proper return, she was inferior to them, deserving all their sufferings, and offered her heart for all manner of pain and suffering. She pleaded also the sanctity of St. Joseph, his purity, innocence, and the delight of the Lord in this heart, made according to that of his son. She asked for many blessings for him, and gave most heartfelt thanks for having created a man so worthy of his favors, so full of justice and holiness. She invited the holy angels to give thanks to God for him, and in contemplating the glory and wisdom of the Lord, as shown in this man, she sang new hymns of praise. For on the one hand, she saw the pains and sufferings of her beloved spouse, which excited her pity and condolence, and on the other hand, she was aware of his merits and the delight of the Lord in this man, and how the saint pleased and glorified his God by his patience. The heavenly lady exercised different virtues suitable to the occasion, and of so exalted a degree, that she excited the admiration of the angelic spirits. Yet greater should be the admiration of us ignorant men, to see that a mere creature so perfectly fulfilled so many different duties, and that in her the anxiety of Martha should not interfere with the contemplation of Mary. She imitated in this the activity of the supernal spirits, who guard and assist us without losing sight of the Most High. Matthew chapter 18 verse 10 But Mary far excelled them in her attention to God, while engaged in bodily labor, of which they were incapable. Though she was a child of Adam, she lived like a heavenly spirit, occupying the superior part of her being in the exalted exercises of her divine love, and employing her inferior faculties in works of charity toward her spouse. Sometimes, when the merciful queen perceived the bitterness and severity of the sufferings of St. Joseph, she was moved to tender pity, and then she would humbly ask permission of her most holy son to be allowed to command the natural sources and occasions of these pains to disappear, and thus put a stop to the sufferings of this just and beloved man of God. As all creatures obey the command of their great mistress, her holy spouse was immediately relieved and rested from his pains, sometimes for a day, sometimes longer, until his ailments, according to the decree of the Almighty, again assumed sway for the increase of his merits. At other times, she ordered the holy angels as their queen, though not in the form of a command, but of a request, to console St. Joseph and comfort him in his sorrows and labors, as the frail condition of his body demanded. Thereupon, the angelic spirits would appear to St. Joseph in human forms, most beautiful and shining, and begin to speak to him of the divinity and its infinite perfections. Then they would raise their voices in sweetest harmony of celestial music, singing hymns of divine canticles, by which they restored his drooping strength and inflamed the love of his purest soul. To rejoice him the more, he was specially informed, not only of the source of these blessings and divine favors, but of the great holiness of his virginal spouse, of her singular love and charity, in conversing with him and serving him, and of many other excellences and privileges of the great mistress of the world. All this together caused such effects in St. Joseph, and so raised his merits before God, as no tongue can express, nor any human understanding in this life can comprehend. Instruction given to me by the Queen of Heaven, Most Holy Mary. My daughter, one of the virtuous works most pleasing to the Lord and most fruitful for souls is the loving care of the sick. 
By it is fulfilled to a great extent the natural law which requires us to do our neighbors what we wish them to do to us. In the gospel, this is adduced as one of the works for which the Lord shall give eternal reward to the just. Matthew chapter 25 verse 34. And the failure to exercise this duty is alleged as one of the causes of the eternal damnation of the wicked. In the same place, the justice of this retribution is also explained. Namely, as men are the children of the eternal father, the Lord accounts any good or ill done to our neighbor as done to his own children, whose part he takes. For so it is customary among human parents. With regard to thyself, thou must moreover consider that thou art the mother of thy religious, and that they, just as thou thyself, are the spouses of my blessed son. The fact that they have received of him less blessings should so much the more oblige thee to serve and nurse them in their sickness. On this account, I have on another occasion told thee that thou must consider thyself the infirmarian of all of them, as being inferior to them because of thy great obligations. I assign to thee thereby an office which is great in the house of the Lord. In order to fulfill its obligations, do not charge others with the work which thou canst do thyself in the service of the sick. And whatever, on account of the duties of thy office, thou canst not compass, be thou careful in commending to the special care of those who are appointed to discharge these duties by obedience. Besides common charity, there are other reasons why the religious should be attended to in their ailments with the greatest care and solicitude, namely, in order that their afflictions and necessities might not cause them to long for return to their parental homes and to the world. Be sure that in this way much harm enters the cloister, for human nature is so adverse to suffering that rather than feel the want of necessities, it will again face the greatest dangers of the soul. In order to stir thee on toward proficiency in the exercise of this doctrine, the charity which I showed toward my spouse, Joseph, in his ailments, should serve thee as a spur and encouragement. Very tardy is that charity, and even the politeness, which waits until the needy one asks for help. I did not wait, but hastened to assist before I was asked. My charity and attention anticipated the requests of my spouse, and thus I consoled him, not only by my services, but by my longing solicitude and attention. I shared his sufferings and hardships with heartfelt compassion, but at the same time, I praised the Most High and thanked him for the blessings of affliction conferred on his servant. If sometimes I sought to relieve his pains, it was not in order to deprive him of the occasion of meriting, but that he might by this aid excite himself to glorify so much the more the author of all goodness and holiness, and to these virtues I exhorted and encouraged him. With similar perfection, shouldst thou exercise this noble virtue, providing for the needs of the sick and weak, comforting them by thy compassion and words of advice, doing them all kinds of good service, without wishing them to lose the reward of suffering. Let not thy carnal love disturb thee, when thy sisters fall sick, although they be those thou lovest or needest most, for thereby many souls, both in the world and in religion, lose the merit of their labors. The sorrow occasioned by the sight of sickness or danger in their friends disturbs their equanimity, and under the pretense of compassion, they begin to complain and refuse to submit themselves to the dispositions of divine providence. In all these things, I have given thee an example, and I demand of thee to imitate it perfectly by following my footsteps. 
End of chapter 14.